quick story from virtual learning again this week. So Kylan was telling us after school earlier that uh, in the midst of class, his teacher on Zoom said, okay, in just a little bit, we're going to head to breakout rooms. And, uh, and Kylan got really excited because uh, breakout rooms are, are just so much fun. You know, you have to figure out clues and solve the mystery, right, which opens new puzzles and new doors. And if, and if you, you get the final puzzle right and unlock the last door before the time runs out, it's, it's great and you win. You know, sometimes we call them escape rooms, but breakout rooms, it's going to be so much fun. And then it was time to head into breakout rooms. And the problem with breakout rooms on Zoom is that you actually can't escape them. And you just do math with five other students. That's what a breakout room is. Um, <laughs> that feels a little like 2020 in a nutshell, doesn't it? <laughs> like, like I'm, you know, we have these, these, these hopes of what something's going to be like, and then we get there, and it's just not the case. Uh, it, there's just kind of a, a sense. I mean, we can put on a happy face and everything, but there's kind of this sense of constant disappointment that, that is over so many things when things aren't like what we thought they'd be or when we hear one thing and it turns out to be another thing or somebody says something and we find out it's not true. Uh, who's to trust? What's real and what's not? What's, what's true and what's not? Our, our minds are headed in all sorts of directions with those questions, from what's happening personally in us and with our own stress, all the way to our current cultural dynamics. Uh, but but here's, here's where the tension really comes in. It's, it's this phrase, often. And the phrase is, but I... Know the truth. Right? So much of our tension comes from the fact, but I know the truth and they don't. I, I know what is important right now. I, I, it means so many things. What does it mean to you? What does this phrase mean to you? I know the truth, but I know the truth. What truth do you know about? Do you know the truth about COVID? Exactly how many cases there have or haven't been, and if it's over or underreported, do you know that truth? Do you know the, the truth about a politician or a party and what exactly they are trying to do to everybody else? You might, you might know the truth. You might. I mean, I, I heard Google's airtight. But... Maybe it's totally different. Maybe the, but I know the truth, is like a deeper reality. Like, I know that I'm smiling, and I'm friendly to people, and I'm hanging in there, and from the outside, you know, it looks like I'm okay, but, but, the, but I know the truth, and the truth is that I'm just dying inside right now. The truth is that I'm barely able to hold on. You know, maybe the truth is that I have to keep up a certain appearance, or the truth is that I don't know how to share the real struggle that I'm going through, or even if I did know how to share it, I don't know what support looks like. There's so many things right now that we just sense, but I, I know the truth about some things, and I don't know the truth about so many things. And it's just hard, um, these, these truths 
that we know can be so many things. Uh, and, and the th- problem with what happens in a phrase like this, but I know the truth, is that usually the end result of this knowledge, whatever truth you know and you're sure about, it leaves us feeling in a certain way. Frustrated, angry, possibly arrogant, possibly despairing. Which brings up something really important. Maybe it would uh, be wise to reflect on the same question that Pilate reflected on. When Jesus claimed that his kingdom was of a different world. And unlike the kingdoms of this world. And Pilate says, so you are a king. And he says... He kind of gives a non-answer, but opens the door to the answer being clearly yes. And then he says that anyone who knows truth will follow me. And Pilate responds, but what is truth? What even is truth? And we don't know if Jesus didn't answer this question so that Pilate could sit with it uncomfortably. Or if Pilate was so uncomfortable with his own question that he took back off. Because he went, he went immediately to the Jewish leaders to continue um, his conversation with them about what to do with Jesus. But the question of what is truth. When we say today, I know the truth, we have to ask the question, what kinds of truth are we most often talking about? See, the New Testament writers, they emphasize truth over and over again. Why do they do that? Colossians 1 speaks about the hope that we have, which is the true message of the gospel. Because there are false messages of the gospel that don't dwell on the hope and grace of God. In 1 Thessalonians, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Because there are many false versions of God out there. And it requires a turning from all of the false versions. There's, there's lies about God. And so there's an emphasis on the true God that people are moving toward that we find in just a moment in Christ. First Timothy talks, Timothy writes to my true son in the faith. And he ta- calls him a true son because there was so many false statements about who Timothy was. Because Timothy was the child of, of a mixed marriage half Jewish, half non-Jewish, and so therefore he was not able to participate in any of the synagogue activities in his childhood. He wasn't a real Jew. He couldn't be a real God follower. And what Paul says is he is my true son in the faith. He is every bit as deserving of the grace of God and every bit as qualified for leadership as anyone else. There's truth and there's falsehood that the scriptures constantly stand up against. Peter says, I have written to you so that you could know the true grace of God. Because there are lots of messages of false grace that say that so much is required of you to attain it, or that absolutely nothing is required (laughs) to attain it. And it's both and. Absolutely nothing is required to receive grace. And yet all of who we are is required to experience it fully. There's true and there's false. First John, I'm writing a new command. The tr- its truth is seen in him, in Jesus, and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is shining. There are lots of false lights out there, but there is a true light. 
the one sitting on the throne in Revelation, who makes all things new, says, my words are trustworthy and true. Pay attention. Why do they write like this? Why is there a constant reminder these things are, are true? And what sorts of things are the things that are emphasized as being true? <sighs> there are lots of untrue things out in our world. And honestly, it's hard to talk about truth without talking about lies first. And naming what is true sometimes requires and means that we call out the lies. Now, obviously, we know that there's, like we mentioned earlier, an enormous amount of misinformation in our world right now. And it's hard to know what's, what's true and what's not. And yes, it is absolutely a responsibility of Christ followers to be people of integrity and to explore the sources for our viewpoints and not misrepresent anyone or anything. Absolutely. There's a lot of that going on. But when the scriptures speak of truth, they're not speaking of statistics. When the scriptures speak of truth, they're not speaking even of one person's story versus another. When the scriptures speak of truth, the big truth, they're talking about something much deeper than something you can fact check. Okay, they're speaking of who is truth and who is trustworthy. Jesus, unsurprisingly, is where we find truth culminated. Jesus is speaking to, um, to large groups throughout the middle of John. Most of them were religious leaders that we have the, the dialogue between. Um, but, but he's speaking to the crowds and he says, listen, if you hold to my teaching to love God with everything and to love others, then you are really my disciples and, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth. Now here's where we look and we say, but I know the truth. And what we often think about is I have all the information or I have the right information. And when Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, we cannot Ignore what happens six chapters later in John 14 when Jesus claims, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth. You will know the truth, and that truth will change everything. And that is a relational knowing. But it leads us, when we get to this point of, of, um, of, of starting to know that truth, <laughs> when we get to the point of, of knowing the truth that we find in Christ, then all of a sudden, when we do that, when we keep our eyes on Jesus and Jesus defines truth for us, then we start to see some of the most destructive lies out there more clearly. And we can name those sorts of lies that take root in us. And, and, and these sort of lies are almost never about me versus you. That's the interesting thing. The types of lies that take root in us when we realize that Jesus is true about others, about God, about ourselves, are, are, are things that are deeper, like lies about others. Everyone who doesn't agree with me, everyone is either a socialist or a communist. Lies like that. Lies like, if I disagree with you ideologically on some level or politically, there's nothing good about you. There's nothing good that can come from you. Lies like, others are more messed up than I am. Lies like, others have it easy compared to me. Or lies about God. 
lies. Like, if pain and crisis happen in our world, God is either causing it or completely okay with it. Lies like, if I just blank enough. If I just blank enough, right? My faith, pray, do enough good stuff. My faith will always feel strong, and I'll easily be able to sense this presence of Jesus all the time. Sometimes we do all of it, and we still have to walk in faith. Lies like, God must be so disappointed in me because I just can't seem to get a hold of my emotions. I just can't seem to get this area of my life right. I just can't seem to work this out. So God must be upset. Lies we believe about ourselves. I can't admit how tired I am. I must be perfect. Lie. I'm in too much pain to contribute anything to the world. Lie. The fate of the world lies on my shoulders. <laughs> Lie. The pain I am experiencing makes beauty impossible. Lie. These are the things that end up dominating our mental energy. So, so maybe this is why Paul, at the end of his incredible letter to the Philippians, full of instruction for a church to continue to be stronger and stronger, Philippians and Ephesians, they're, they're like, they're the all-star churches in the scriptures. They had plenty of problems, but there was life bursting out of them. And Paul writes really intentionally to them. And, and, and here's what he says to finish and conclude his teaching part of the letter. Then he gives some final salutations right after this. But the bulk of his instruction, here's how he wraps it up in Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, what, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever is true, pure, lovely. That's the focus. That needs to be the focus. There are true and lovely things in the world that need to consume our minds. Now, this sort of thinking does not dismiss in any, in any way, okay, the real pain and struggle. Because if we know the truth, if we know the truth, then we are letting Jesus be our guide to truth and purity and loveliness. And the truth revealed in Christ on the cross is one that requires that we acknowledge the brutal pain and the injustice and the violence in our world. It requires it. We cannot ignore it. But at the same time, acknowledging the incredible beauty that even that pain can reveal when it is surrendered to God. The cross is at once grotesque and beautiful, it has been said. Because it reveals the human heart, the violence and the injustice of our world, but it also reveals the beauty of a life laid down and a God whose way of influence is power under and serving versus power over and domination. That is a beautiful truth. So when we begin to live in, in these deepest truths, the truths that God reveals in Christ, about ourselves, about grace, about God, we start, to, we start to, to look at life through a different lens than just let me make sure that I have all of my facts right. How about this? And 
kids, you just, uh, well, actually, everybody was doing it. So how about this? Let me see a thumb. I am of infinite worth and value created in the image of God. The people of our earth from every tribe, every nation, every country, and every other thing that you can put into those categories are also of infinite worth and value in God's eyes. True. There is grace upon grace upon grace in the kingdom. True. My brokenness is never beyond redemption. True. We begin to understand that if I know the truth, this statement, this attitude does not make us more discouraged, more angry at the world, more ticked off, frustrated about how nobody can get it right. Instead, when we know the truth, it makes us more loving, more hopeful, more available, more kind, more redemptive, more patient. I mean, just look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians and figure out the rest of the list. These are the things that you become. These are the ways that you hold what's true. And, the, and, those, who, and those who you disagree with, those, those who have different truths about it, you only have compassion and love and care. You know, one of the fascinating things about, I, I wasn't even planning on talking about this, but, but one of the elements of um, this, the discipleship course that we're going through is when someone disagrees with you or when you read something that you're not sure about, they say instead of immediately casting judgment or figuring out that the other person is wrong, we invite you to step back in wonder. I wonder what factors in that life may have led this person to have this perspective. I wonder X, Y, Z. And you wonder instead of figuring, this, this is holding the truth that Jesus is Lord. That's part of all of this. It's this humility. It's this willingness to make space for other people over and over again. If we do this, if we start to understand that when I say I know the truth, and we're talking about knowing Jesus, then we recover the ability to see the world with fresh beauty. And there is so much beauty to be seen. I really want to talk about this for a minute. Because when complaining and arguing uh, become our default, we actually move away from what, I mean, what the scriptures tell us is being children of God. But we move away from being able to recognize beauty and truth in a good way. Our eyes are, like, we, we get this veil over us when, when complaining and arguing become our default. Um, and, and I have grown in my own life the, my, my capacity to recognize beauty. Uh, it was always around me, but I, I move at a real, <laughs> I mean, my, my watch counts steps, and I put in like two miles, even when I have to stand in this little box during a message. Okay, normally I put in three and a half miles every Sunday morning inside this building. I move a lot, and that can make me not be able to recognize stuff. I can't find things at home all the time, even though I walk past them over and over. But my mom was an artist, <laughs> you know, I, ha I was surrounded by beauty, I love the outdoors, but it's only in, in this latter part of my life that I've learned to recognize beauty in so many different ways. And so I was struck by something this week that I wanted to share with you. And I, I know I've told stories about one of my favorite shows, and I've written about it, but, but I love the British show Doctor Who. And a few of you do here too. It's just, it's, I, I mean, honestly, it's one of the most redemptive uh, television series 
that I have ever witnessed. But it's also sci-fi, so it's, it's this weird mix of, of everything. And we're going through it for the second time with our, with our boys right now. And there's an episode that I'm going to show you two clips from. And this one, it does deal with monsters and aliens and all that stuff, but that's not in these clips. Um, one of the things that the doctor, who's the main character, he is, he's called a time lord and he can travel through time. And he travels with a companion. And they go and they find places where people need their help, essentially. But they also go to historical moments, not just other planets. And they go back to the time and the life of Vincent van Gogh. And they meet this painter. And by the way, in, in English, uh, in, in British culture, it's pronounced van Gogh. So don't get, don't get derailed by that. Um, it is supposed to be actually the same person. It's not like some like, parallel universe where they're trying to say, like, McDavid's or something from McDonald's. It's not like that. It's actually the painter. But they go back in his life. If you, if you don't know, Van Gogh was a preacher uh, to uh, a very poor mining community in Belgium during the 1770 or 1870s. And for whatever reason, uh, tons of pain in that, in that world. A poor, uh, very sick community. And, and so in 1880, he began painting as his career. He left ministry behind. Um, I don't know all of the details of why, but there was pain and brokenness in both the situation that he was in, but also in himself. He dealt with mental, mental illness his entire life. And so anyways, one of the things that was unique about Van Gogh is he was able to look at the world and see things that almost no one else could see. He's seen as a master of color. And so I want you just to take a glimpse at, at one scene uh, where, where Van Gogh lays down in a field with the doctor and his companion, and he looks up at the sky, and he shares with them what he sees when he looks up. Hold my hand, doctor. Try to see what I see. We're so lucky we're still alive to see this beautiful world. Look at the sky. It's not dark and black and without character. The black is, in fact, deep blue. And over there, lighter blue. And blowing through the blueness and the blackness, the wind swirling through the air, and then shining, burning, bursting through the stars. Can you see how they roll their light? Everywhere we look, complex magic of nature blazes before our eyes. I've seen many things, my friend, but you're right. Nothing quite as wonderful as the things you see. that's not the whole story of Van Gogh's life. Van Gogh was tormented his entire life. He was seen, even though he could see things and he noticed beauty in ways that few human beings have ever been able to, he was seen as a madman. He was, he was rejected by his town, made nothing of himself, didn't believe that his, his art actually had any value at all. Believed that nothing, there was nothing good or beautiful about what he produced. He sold one painting in his entire lifetime for pennies. 
and he died a disappointment to himself in the midst of his mental health struggle. But in this film, one of the things that happens in this, in this show is that in the midst of what they see his story about himself being, the truth that he has believed about who he has and what he can offer to the world is too overwhelming for the doctor and his companion to handle. So they decide that before they leave him, they're going to invite him on a short trip, and they take him to modern-day Paris, to an art studio. And I want you to take a look at what happens. Where are we? Paris, 2010 AD, and this is the mighty Musée d'Orsay, home to many of the greatest paintings in history. Oh, well, that's wonderful. Isn't it? Uh, ignore that. I've got something more important to show you. Take all your chances while you can. Never know when they'll pass you by. Like a son, the mathematician cannot solve. Like me, trying my hardest to explain. You were nice about my tie. Yes, and today is another cracker, if I may say so. But I just wondered, between you and me, in uh, a hundred words, where do you think Van Gogh rates in the history of art? Well, um, big question. Um, but to me, Van Gogh is the finest painter of the world. Certainly the most popular, great painter of all time. The most beloved. His command of color, the most magnificent. He transformed the pain of his tormented life into ecstatic beauty. Pain is easy to portray, but to use your passion and pain to portray the ecstasy and joy and magnificence of our world, no one had ever done it before. Perhaps no one ever will again. To my mind, that strange wild man who roamed the fields of Provence was not only the world's greatest artist but also one of the greatest men who ever lived. Vincent, sorry. I'm sorry, is it too much? No, they are tears of joy. <laughs> Thank you, sir. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome. Sorry about the beard. It's all about you.
if the, the quote that struck me so much, he transformed the pain of his tormented life into ecstatic beauty. Pain is easy to portray, but to use your passion and pain to portray the ecstasy and the joy and the magnificence of our world, that's extraordinary. If we don't believe that our pain can somehow add to the beauty of our world, then the, we don't believe the truth that God can truly transform and redeem. Nothing is out of reach of a redemptive God. and We must trust that. We must believe that no one is outside of God's reach. We must believe that Jesus can take everything that we feel and experience and turn it into new moments of grace being made known to our world. We don't look for beauty as a way to escape our world these days. We look for it as a way to engage our world because God wastes nothing. That's one of the things that makes God so beautiful and our world so beautiful. We have no idea what God does with our daily feeble attempts to do our part in this world. We have no idea. We don't see the big picture. We often miss the beauty, but we must trust that God does something with it. That God does something with the things that we put out there in the world every moment that we seek to humbly be faithful, that we seek to love, that we seek to offer encouragement. Every moment that we try to live out his kingdom as imperfectly and weakly as we may do it, we have to trust that God does something magnificent with that. Because that's the truth about how God loves, cares, and wants to partner with humanity in bringing about the beautiful kingdom. God is trustworthy. It doesn't mean our work stops. Quite the opposite. It means that we rest on what is true about God working in the world so that we can keep dwelling on what is good and beautiful and praiseworthy. It means we engage in the world with that sort of hope. It doesn't mean we just ignore all the pain. So as we think about that passage that we looked at, Paul, Paul encouraging the early young church, to dwell on what is true, who is true, what is good, what is beautiful. What needs to be thought about less in your life because it creates bitterness or hatred or ugliness in you? What needs to be thought about more so that you can walk in God's truth and recognize God's beauty? Again, this is not just individualistic spirituality. The more we recognize the goodness of God, the more we will want to work for it in our world. When you see and recognize God's mercy toward you, when you understand how beautiful that is, you cannot help but want to offer it to other people, and so on. So, let me leave you with these three simple statements as we think about the truth of God and the truth of our world and being people of truth, of the deepest truth. People of the deepest truth. God is trustworthy. <laughs> there is always beauty to recognize in our world and its people. And you have the opportunity to help the world see the first two. There is a pandemic of hopelessness right now. Let's be people who see what other, th what other people can't see. Let's be people who recognize the fact that God is always and still at work 
and that everything that we walk through now is usable for the kingdom. Let's be people who know that truth. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we openly acknowledge how hard it sometimes is to be people of truth. We are easily deceived, (laughs) as we see in our culture right now, where it's so hard to know what's real, but more so as we think about ourselves and how we view the world, we're so easily deceived, Lord. Help us to know the truth. Help that to begin with a relational foundation of transformation with you, Jesus. Give us hope. Give us faith. Give us love. And help us transform whatever pain we may see and experience. Help us transform that by your power into something beautiful that can impact our world. And let, let us leave the results to you as well. And trust that we, we don't know it. We can't have it all figured out. And things happen beyond what we will ever see. Amen.